Hello, and welcome to the Asta La Visa Baby Podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and he would never drink Don Perignon champagne above the temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Well, my dear boy, it just isn't done. Yes, Rod. That's exactly what we're looking for. Shy, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm great. And I'm excited to talk about Goldfinger with you, man. Oh, man. You just gave it away. But yeah, we're going to be talking about a double. Well, it's already been it's been teased out. So I'm so excited (laughs) about it. I gave the movie away. I'm breaking our carefully constructed rules already. That's okay. If people read the description, they should know that that's what we're doing today. That's it is in the title, I think, of today's episode. So yeah, but Rod, just to be serious for just one second here, sure. I just want to let the listeners know that here at the Ostala Visa Baby Podcast, we're cognizant of the fact that things in the world not going so well right now. There's a lot of senseless violence. There's some tragedy going on. You know, we're not a political podcast, but we just want to say that we're hoping that things get better. And that, um, you know, we here just want to give you 45 minutes to an hour of some fun to take your minds off of some things that are going on in the world, which are just not too great right now. Just a shout out to everybody. But um, we do want to have some fun. I think we're allowed to have a little bit of fun. At Asta La Visa Baby, what we do is we are just making immigration the talk of the town, aren't we? One film at a time or TV show. So let's uh, let everybody know again what it is that we do here, because we definitely have some first-time listeners. We are the Asta La Visa Baby Podcast, and every episode, we focus on a particular movie or television show that features a foreign national character living in the U.S. We are going to do a deep dive into the movie or television show, focusing on the specific foreign national character. We're going to use our immigration detective skills to figure out what the character's U.S. visa status may have been what problems or issues the character may have faced living in the U.S., and we are going to talk about a hypothetical consultation if the character came to us for advice. And very important, we're going to imagine that all characters are living in a 2022 U.S. immigration world. So those are the rules. Something very important that we have to get to is Mm -hmm. that if people want to contact us, if people want to talk to us, if people have questions for us, Rod, how is it that they can do that? They can contact us directly via email at astalavisa, H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y dot com. And you probably, if you're listening to this, you probably know where to find us. But just in case, Rod, we're on all the major streaming platforms as far as podcasts are concerned. Where are some of those places that people can subscribe to our podcast? We scattergunned it. So we're on a whole bunch of them. So we're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, and et cetera. Yeah. If you get your podcast from any other source besides those named sources, go ahead. Give us a subscribe. We would love that. If we're missing one, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. There could be others out there. There could be. So we've got a special treat for everybody today. We're going to talk about a classic movie, an all-time great. It is going to be a podcast focusing on the 007 movie, Goldfinger. So Rod, if you can let the listeners know what in the world this movie is all about. Sure. And quite a bit happens, as you know. So 
I'll try to make quick work of it. So uh, Goldfinger was released in 1964 and it's the third film in the James Bond franchise. So while on holiday, the British spy James Bond, played by Sean Connery, is contacted by the CIA and instructed that the British Secret Service requires him to investigate a guest at his hotel named Auric Goldfinger, who's a wealthy British businessman and is suspected of international gold smuggling. Auric Goldfinger. Sounds like a French nail varnish. He's British, but he doesn't sound like it. Big operator, worldwide interests, all apparently quite reputable. Owns one of the finest stud farms in the States. What's the time it was Washington? He's clean as far as CIA is concerned. And where do I find him? So at the hotel, Bond gets a little too close to Goldfinger by luring one of Goldfinger's employees named Jill Masterson out of Goldfinger's services and into his company. Not finding this amusing, Goldfinger has Jill murdered by his bodyguard odd job in Bond's hotel suite. Bond finds her dead on his bed, painted from head to toe, in gold paint. Hello, Felix. Get over here right away. What's up? The girl's dead. Dink? Uh, Masterson, Jill Masterson. She's covered in paint. Gold paint. Back in London, Bond is officially assigned the mission of investigating Goldfinger's business dealings. This leads Bond to a golf match with Goldfinger at Goldfinger's club in England and subsequently following Goldfinger on a smuggling mission to Geneva. There, Bond is eventually captured by Goldfinger and almost murdered by Goldfinger's high-tech laser. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. However, Bond convinces Goldfinger to keep him alive. You are quite right, Mr. Bond. You are worth more to me alive. Goldfinger brings Bond with him to his horse farm, Kentucky, where he's making the final preparations for Operation Grand Slam, a sinister plot to infiltrate Fort Knox and set off an atomic device that would render the United States' entire gold supply radioactive for 58 years thereby massively increasing the value of his own gold. While in Goldfinger's captivity, Bond convinces Goldfinger's personal pilot, a woman named Miss Galore, to work with the CIA to thwart Goldfinger's plot. Once Goldfinger's forces are inside Fort Knox, where Bond is set to be blown up inside the vault, handcuffed to the bomb, they're ambushed by the US military and the atomic device is eventually deactivated. Bond's final encounter with Goldfinger takes place on a private jet, which is transporting Bond to the White House to meet the president. The jet is hijacked by Goldfinger, but over a struggle for Goldfinger's revolver, the gun is discharged, leading to a blown out window. Goldfinger is sucked out through the plane window. Bond and Miss Galore eject and safely parachute to safety. Thanks you for the summary, Rod. A lot of things happened in that movie. Yeah, it's, it's uh, quite a tour de force. I think you you got the gist of it, though. So, Rod, this is a movie that came out in the 1960s, long before you and I were around. Mm-hmm. How did you come into knowledge about this movie? W- what enticed you to watch this movie? I think when I was a kid, I got into James Bond through my father. He watched, uh, he was a James Bond fan. So at some point, I can't, I honestly can't remember because it's for as, long, as far back as I can Remember, he was a James Bond fan. We used to watch the movies together. How about you? Exactly the same situation. So my father watched James Bond movies in Israel, and um, he was a fan of James Bond. And I was introduced to James Bond through my father. 
I think I mentioned this on another episode, but my mom thought it was completely inappropriate for a, a 10-year-old to be watching uh, these movies. But um, my dad said, no, 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 this is good for him. He should watch this. I'm, I'm sure my mother felt the same way, and it's a mistake that I'm recreating with my own children. So <laughs> The cycle goes on. The cycle goes on. But you turned um, out really well, so I'm sure your children will turn out well, too. There's no, yeah, they'll be. Is it too young to start watching James Bond? It's now, now, and they've seen this one. And uh, one, one, I think important thing about this movie in particular is that this film, Goldfinger, is the one that sets the template for what we consider to be sort of the James Bond formula, including the uh, ridiculously elaborate and completely ridiculous murder schemes that these villains come up with that never could possibly work. They set up something elaborate, like this elaborate Rube Goldberg machine, and then walk away, assuming that it's going to work and Bond always escapes. But they never see it through, do they? They just they they never just, see it through. They never see it through. Yeah. Well, yeah, this was the template, the girl, evil lair, all, all of that stuff. This mm-hmm. is what all James Bond movies are like now. In doing the research for the podcast, I found a some interesting facts that I would love to share with you and the listeners. I'm all ears. Okay. So this film is based on the 1959 novel Goldfinger written by Ian Fleming. And due to the popularity of the film adaptation, over 900,000 copies were sold in the UK in 1964. I think a lot of reading in 64, a lot. That's a lot of people. 900,000. I think it's it's pretty good. Pretty good. Right. The film's three million dollar budget was recouped in only two weeks. It made twenty three million dollars at the box office in the U.S. and forty six million dollars worldwide. That's a chunk of change. That's a big Uh, chunk of change. The demand for the movie was so high all over the world that in uh, New York at the DeMille Cinema, they had to stay open 24 hours a day to meet the demand of all the people who wanted to see this movie. Wow. For security reasons, the filmmakers were not permitted to go inside the Fort Knox vault, although exterior photography was permitted. So the inside of the vault was all the imagination of the filmmakers. It wasn't Mm. actually the inside of the vault, which a lot of people thought it was. Sean Connery, who famously played James Bond and was the best James Bond, he never traveled to the US to film Goldfinger. Every scene where Bond is in America was actually shot at Pinewood Studios in London, which leads me to believe is America just a production in Pinewood Studios in London. Is everything in America just a production? (laughs) Is it all a simulation? Are we just a simulation? And um, this is a good one, Rod. Mm. Goldfinger is the first movie where Bond himself requested a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. That I think is a fantastic fact because that drink order is so connected with him. It's such an iconic part of sort of the James Bond character. I'm surprised to find out that it took three movies for them to get to it. Unbelievable, because in that that's what he drinks in the books, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the research. And um, I'm glad that you found that interesting. I hope our listeners found some of that stuff interesting, too. It was great stuff. So we had to pick a character to talk about for this movie. We had three choices. James Bond is British. He needed mm-hmm. a visa to come to the U.S., Goldfinger is British. He needed a visa to come to the U.S. But then we had a very interesting character. We had Goldfinger's servant, and his name was Oddjob. And he also would have needed a visa to come to the United States. So in consultation with the listeners, Rod, we decided that we were going to focus on Oddjob. The overwhelming favorite. The overwhelming favorite. All overwhelming. At least 80%. So, Rod, can you tell us everything we need to know about the character named Oddjob? Yeah, sure. So Oddjob is Goldfinger's servant, chauffeur, golf caddy, and bodyguard. He's referred to by Goldfinger as his manservant, 
and is described as a mute Korean. Oh, you must excuse odd job, Mr. Bond. He's an admirable manservant, but mute. He's not a very good caddy. Golf is not yet the national game of Korea, eh? <laughs> Despite his heavy screen time, Ajab only has four lines of dialogue in the whole film. His lines consist of different variations on ah, ah. Ajab was uh, extremely strong, and he's able to crush a golf ball with one hand. He barely flinches when Bond throws a gold bar at him, or when he's struck in the head with a big heavy wooden club. Ajab spends his time in the film serving Goldfinger and dispatching anybody in Goldfinger's way. Ajab was responsible for killing Jill Masterson in Bond's hotel suite at the start of the movie. His signature method of killing was using his bowler hat, which has a sharpened steel rim like a frisbee, to decapitate or break his enemy's neck. Oddjob's demise comes at the end of the movie during a duel with Bond while locked inside the Fort Knox vault. Bond electrocutes Oddjob while Oddjob is attempting to retrieve his bowler hat, which has been lodged between some steel bars. Oddjob is probably the most famous of the henchmen in the entire Bond series. Thanks for that breakdown, Rod. And yeah, Oddjob really is a famous um, henchman. When I think of the quintessential James Bond henchman, I always think of Oddjob. I guess him or Jaws, but I, Jaws... I think him. I think he and Jaws both. Yeah. Jaws was from the Roger Moore movies, and he was mm -hmm. a sillier character because the Roger Moore movies were a lot sillier. So let's uh, talk immigration now. Ajab, Korean, definitely needed a visa to come to the United States. So, Rod, as a mm -hmm. Korean national who was seen in the U.S., he was in Miami in the beginning of the movie, and he was yep. also in Kentucky with Goldfinger. Mm -hmm. He was acting as Goldfinger's servant. What kind yep. of visa would Ajab have needed in order to come to the United States? So I think the most likely visa that Ajab would have qualified for to come to the U.S. with would have been the B-1 domestic service worker. And that's a new visa. We haven't talked about this type of visa on the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast yet. So, Rod, can you tell us some of the details about this type of visa? So the B-1 is sort of more of a general visa. B-1 and B-2 are for limited business and tourism travel. But the Department of State allows certain non-immigrant aliens and U.S. citizens living abroad to bring into the U.S. their servants, personal attendants, and other domestic employees while on work assignments in the U.S. Are you saying that, like, for instance, if someone is coming to the U.S. maybe with a business visa, that person could bring his or her domestic service worker to accompany him to the U.S.? Is that what you're mm -hmm. trying to say? That's exactly what I'm saying. All right. That's interesting. And and Rod, what is the process for applying for this B-1 domestic worker visa? So the domestic worker has to apply for a U.S. visa at a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad. In the application, the domestic worker must include a letter from the sponsor attesting that the worker is going to be paid a fair wage for full-time work. The domestic service worker must demonstrate that he or she has a residence abroad, which will not be abandoned. And uh, the applicant must also prove his or her qualifications as a domestic service worker. What kind of duties can this person who qualifies for a B-1 domestic service worker legally perform? What are the type of things that would entail this kind of visa? It encompasses any sort of domestic employee. It's not specifically spelled out in the regulations, but traditionally those duties can include personal assistance, home care, family care, nannies, chefs, you know, that sort of thing. Interesting. So if somebody had a personal chef, they could bring that person as a B-1 domestic worker. That is correct. What about financial compensation for the B-1 domestic service worker? What are the rules for financial compensation? So the domestic workers 
have to be paid at a minimum the higher of either the state's minimum wage or the federal minimum wage. So these people are protected. They can't just you can't just bring somebody over and pay them almost nothing. They they're protected. That's correct. And once the B1 domestic worker is in the US, can they work for anybody or just the sponsor who sponsored them for this particular visa? So the worker would be uh, prohibited from being employed by anyone other than the sponsor. And what about tax requirements? You know, when someone's in the United States, like you and me, hopefully they're paying their taxes. I mean, it is March. We're getting ready for tax time. Mm, Uh, What what about the B-1 domestic service worker? What are their tax requirements? So any wages originating in the U.S. are subject to the same taxation as any U.S. wage earner. Therefore, the B-1 domestic workers have to remain in compliance with all U.S. employment tax income, income tax regulations. All right. And what about the length of time that a B-1 domestic service worker can stay in the U.S.? Is there a specific amount of time? So generally, they can ask when they first enter the United States, they can ask to be admitted for a year. In my experience, they're not always admitted for a year, but generally they'll be in it admitted initially for six months or a year. And afterwards, they can uh, receive extensions, stay in increments of either six months or a year. And I guess, you know, the validity of their extensions or the ability to extend would depend upon how long their sponsor was going to be the United States because they go hand in hand. Exactly. Yes. So when they apply, they have to show that the sponsor is going to be remaining in the United States in whatever status they're going to be. All right. So I think I'm clear now about the the legal regulations when it comes to a B-1 domestic service worker. So what we have to do is we have to apply the law to the facts. So we've got odd job. We can't really talk about odd jobs eligibility for a B-1 domestic service worker without also talking a little bit about Goldfinger, because Goldfinger would have been odd job sponsor. So basically, in order for odd job to have qualified for the B-1 domestic service worker, Goldfinger himself, he would have, as a British national, as the sponsor, he would have first needed his own visa to enter the U.S. So we're also going to look at Goldfinger a little bit. So, Rod, do you think it's likely that Goldfinger had a visa to travel to the U.S., knowing what we know about him? Well, he certainly would have needed one. As you point out, he's a a U.K. citizen, not a U.S. citizen, so therefore he would have needed a visa. We know that he's an international businessman. He had businesses in the UK, Switzerland, and the United States in the film. It's most likely the case that all these businesses were probably affiliated with one another in some way. Therefore, you know, he could potentially have qualified for a number of US employment-based visas, including potentially maybe the L1 multinational visa, which we've talked about in a previous episode, as well as potentially an E2 investor visa, which we've also covered as well. Yeah, we spoke about the E2 investor visa in uh, our Austin Powers in our Austin Powers, so, you know, very good companion films yeah, to watch together. Exactly. And we also talked about L1 in our Home Alone 2. You can go oh, and listen to those. In our inaugural episode. We, so, uh, what, a, what a day that was. So if Goldfinger, okay, let's say he was coming to the US with either an L1 visa or an E2 visa, could he have successfully sponsored a job for the B1 domestic service worker visa? So I think he probably could have. Goldfinger would have needed to have entered into an employment contract with a job, specifying, among other things, the wages to be paid, that a job would get free room and board, that a job's travel expenses would be taken care of. Also, uh, at his visa interview, he would have to present his employment contract with Goldfinger. And uh, he'd have to prove his qualifications as Goldfinger's servant during Goldfinger's stay in the U.S. And do you think that acting as a chauffeur 
and, and acting as a manservant, as Goldfinger said, do you think that those activities would have qualified for, you know, the permissible B1 activities? That kind of activity, the, you know, basically the sort of the, you know, we, I, I think we might use the term perhaps butler, which is probably antiquated <laughs> enough anyway. But yeah, those kinds of those kinds of activities would be contemplated, not the murderousness. So, you know, he would that you would want to leave those off of the, the contract. No but, criminal um, activities. No, no criminal activities. But yeah, all of the, the normal day to day being acting as a chauffeur, acting as his manservant, all of those things would have would have qualified. Yeah, and, and there's probably a lot of things that Ajab did we off camera that we didn't see. I bet he helped Goldfinger put his clothes on, you know, pick out his his perhaps, shoes. You know, perhaps, I think yeah. I think Ajab did a lot more than than what we saw in the film. So, bottom line, I think we can agree that if Ajab could pass his visa interview, that's really important. It appears he would have been qualified for the B one domestic service worker visa. There's a lot of talk, you know, about James Bond, Rod, and there's so many James Bond movies. How many are there? Are there 20 at this point? I think it's 25 or 26 at this point. Definitely, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we should know that, but we should know that. Should know that. But there's a lot of 26. There's a lot of things we should know, Rod. But yeah, yeah, there's it's over 25 movies. And a lot of people they like to make lists. What are the best James Bond movies of all time? Well, you and I, we have our lists too. I thought it would be um, a nice exercise to go over our top three James Bond movies of all time. So listeners, Rod and I have not spoken about this, so we're just going to do this on the fly. So we're going to count down from three, going all the way to number one. And uh, Rod, you want to get started with number three? This is a very difficult task. This is incredibly hard to do. And my my lists constantly change, you know, as, as time goes. I think probably, I would say right now, of my top three, I'd say maybe I would go with, for number three, I might go with Casino Royale. Wow. A Daniel Craig movie. A Daniel Craig movie. Just briefly, give me the, that's not on my list, so defend it. So the, the reason why I like it so much is because I was not a tremendous fan of the, the Brosnan years. I felt, I felt like they were just, the movies were sort of, uh, had lost their way a little bit. And I wasn't that excited about those films. And well, I mean, there were, you know, certainly some high points there, but I remember when I went to go see Casino Royale in the theater, I was really, I was just impressed by it. I was like, this is, it, it felt different. It seemed different. It was just a new, I thought it was a solid reboot for the And for it the kind film of series. went back to the seriousness of what it used to be. Yeah, it went back. Right? Yeah, it was a little, it, it a little more serious, the campiness. a little more gritty. Yeah, no, yeah, it lost the campiness. It was a little more serious, a little more gritty. And I just, ah. I just remember mainly it's from the experience of seeing it, I think is, is really why I, I rank that one. I, I, I really, kind of highly. I really liked it too when I saw it. It, it Pierce Brosnan left a, a bad taste in my mouth and, and, uh, Casino Royale really brought it back. So, oh, I'm hmm. rethinking my list now. Okay. Well, that's a good one. Let me give you my number three. Are you ready for sure. my number three? My yep. number three is the second James Bond film, and that's from Russia with Love. Fantastic movie. I was having a real hard time with putting From Russia with Love at number three or number two. The reason I put it at number three is because the plot's a little confusing. There's all kinds of talk about some machine called the Lecter, and there's a Russian spy who doesn't know if she's working for Russia or if she's working for Spectre. I don't know who she's working for. James Bond doesn't know who she's working for, but it's an cr- incredible movie. Sean Connery, I think, is really just killing it in that movie from Russia with love. I think it's 1963. Yeah. It's the, yeah. The second movie in the, in the series, like you said, yeah. I also a favorite of mine that is in my, that rotates through my top films. It's not in your top three right now. It's not in my top. We'll we'll find it. We'll find out. We'll find out. Okay. Rod, which movie is number two? So number two would be the film we're talking about today. Goldfinger. 
Wow. You have, okay, let's go. Goldfinger, number two. So Goldfinger is my number one. So let's just get ah, Goldfinger okay. out of the way right now. All right. Rod, yeah. why is Goldfinger number two for you and number one for me and also number one for a lot of people? It's such an iconic movie. So many of the things we think about when we think about James Bond, like we said before, all the things that you think about when you think about James Bond are in the movie. It's not a perfect movie, but it's just, I, I find it to be very rewatchable. I can go back and watch it over and over again. It has the elements of a James Bond movie I want to see. So you've got him in different international locations, right? It has all the gadgets. This is the first time that we see James Bond actually in the Q branch, hmm. getting the gadgets, getting the car with all the cool gizmos on it. It has an iconic character, a villain, an iconic villain. It yep. has an iconic henchman. The plot is very easy to understand, not too difficult to understand. And it's just Sean Connery. I feel like this is him at his best. He's just suave most yeah. of the time. There are things he does that we're not fans of. We'll talk about that later. But sure. in yeah. general, he's a pretty good performance. And it's just a great plot, easy to understand, and just fun. My number two is going to be Dr. No. Dr. No is the first James Bond movie. And it's just our introduction to James Bond. It brings you into the world of James Bond. It's something that you've never seen before. I think it was the first James Bond I ever saw. So the fact that it's my number two, it's a special movie for me. It's mm -hmm. also a plot that's easy to understand. It has an iconic villain in Dr. No, this guy with like metal hands who is trying to, you know, blow yeah. up the United States, you know, uh, a mislaunch into space. And, and James Bond is in Jamaica. He's all over the world. It's just great locations. It's a fantastic movie. Number two for me. So your favorite movie are the first three James Bond movies ever made. Yes, it's just that's just the way it is. There you go. You know, a lot of people might say, oh, you're you're too true to the Sean Connery James Bond, but they were the best. They were the best ones. So, yeah. um, you know, fantastic. I'm going to take a step outside the Sean Connery and uh, yes. I'm going to go with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I was so close to making this my number three. So close. I know it's a favorite of both of ours. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. It's, it's a, my number it's four. George Lazenby was poo-pooed. And, you know, he's Australian. He's not English, but a lot of people don't care for that movie. I've never understood why, because it's always been one of my favorites. I've always enjoyed it. I think the only reason people don't care for that movie, because it was the first movie after Sean Connery and people had a hard time accepting an actor outside of Sean Connery. Yeah, true. But I think he, George Lazenby only did one. And yep. I think you and I agree that he is the second best James Bond. I'm a tremendous fan of George Lazenby. And a lot of people poo-poo on, on the movie and on him. Yep. I see him yeah. rated less. No, he's rated second. I think he's great. So I have um, From Russia With Love, Dr. No and Goldfinger. And you, Rod, Casino Royale. You have Goldfinger. Goldfinger. And you have On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Good choices. All good films. So um, now that we've got that list out of the way, and, and if you disagree with us, send us an email. Yeah, we'd yeah. love to hear if you've seen them all or if you like them. Any James Bond fans out there, let us know what your favorites are. So now to the immigration situation with Ajab. Ajab comes to us for a consultation. Either, you know, when he's in Miami, he comes to us, or he's in Kentucky, he comes to us, but he needs some immigration advice. He likes America. He likes South Beach. He likes the stud farm in Kentucky. He, he wants to stay <laughs> here. You know, Ajab yep. really, he likes it in America. So we got to talk to him about, you know, what his options are for possibly staying in the United States, what his limitations are. So Rod, mm -hmm. can we do that? Are we going to be able to do that for Oddjob? Yeah, we can, we can certainly try it. What would be the first thing that you would tell Oddjob about his current B1 domestic <laughs> service worker status? 
Sure. So, I mean, the first thing to tell them is that it's temporary in nature and it's tied specifically to Goldfinger. So if Goldfinger's not here, he can't be here. And he's basically would have to tell Ajab, listen, you were expected when you came to the United States to depart after your assignment ended. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of your agreement with the Department of State that you were going to depart the U.S. Another thing I think that that I would tell Ajab is that, listen, Ajab, you want to stay in the United States? Crime doesn't pay. So Ajab, he's committed some pretty serious crimes in the U.S. Um, He's assaulted. He's murdered. He's painted ladies without their permission. Like, even if he didn't get caught in the U.S., you know, these crimes may come out in the future. And he still and he may have trouble getting another visa in the future if he wants to change his status or he wants to get a new visa. The crime could be a big problem. What wouldn't you say? I would say it, yes, absolutely. That he's going to have a lot of issues. I would say, and, you know, interestingly enough, he was, you know, theoretically, he was able to get his visa and come to the United States. So the crimes that he had committed, in theory, he's been doing it for years, probably right. before we come upon the story. But it seems like he was able to sort of keep that stuff under wraps. Although he's, uh, you know, a pretty prolific murderer, I would say. So that's going to be a big problem for him if he gets yeah. caught at all, or if it's suspected at all. You know, they do background checks whenever there's a, an extension of stay or there's background checks whenever there's a visa issuance. So, you know, he's going to be subject. He's, you know, it's very, very possible if there's ever any sort of issues, an arrest or a warrant out right. for him, that he's going to have some issues. So and, yeah, and we would have to advise him, avoid the crime. Yeah, avoid. You do the crime, you do the time. If he wanted to change status, I don't know what he would qualify for. It's it's very difficult. We don't know about his educational background. He doesn't speak. He says, ah, ah, that's all he says. That's right. I don't know what his qualifications are, what kind of visa status he could change to. Maybe one day he can do an H3 trainee visa. Maybe, you know, he can learn a trade in the United States and take that back. I, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but, you know, I mean, he seems to be pretty good at fighting. If he specializes in any sort of competitive you know, martial arts or something like that, you know, uh, it's potentially come and, uh, but it would have to be for competitive reasons, not right. for murderous reasons. Not for fun. But Well, yeah. not strictly fun. Not strictly fun. You know, he could, he could potentially, you know, or just if he were an athlete of some sort, there might be another way for him. But I think probably we would, he would be limited very much so in his options outside of his employment with, uh, with Goldfinger. Goldfinger. If he did, for example, if he fell in love with uh, someone in the U.S. and got married, you know, that you could potentially get a green card to stay that way. Yeah, uh, maybe again. maybe one night, you know, off hours, he went to the bar in Kentucky and he spotted could be. a lady across the bar could or, be. or a man across the bar. And, and whomever, who yeah. knows? Love is blind. Yeah. Is that so, what they say? And mute, apparently, maybe, too. <laughs> you know, but the, again, the, the criminal issues, even if that were the case, if he did find someone to fall in love with, the criminal issues would probably come up again. So what about this, Rod? So. Goldfinger is a criminal, international criminal. What if in mm-hmm. the investigation of Goldfinger, the um, you know Secret Service or the police forces, they tried to flip Ajab to mm. provide evidence against Goldfinger because Ajab knows everything. If, for example, they could prove that Goldfinger committed crimes against Oddjob, mm. that like if Oddjob was was being held against his will, for example, or then he could potentially qualify for like a U visa for victims of criminal activity who would be allowed to be in the United States to participate in the investigation, the prosecution of Goldfinger. Or, you know, it might very well be that, you know, perhaps the CIA or the Department of State might be able to just arrange to have a green card for him through whether it's a special bill through Congress or I don't know what sort of means they have at their disposal outside of, you know, it's sort of outside of what we do on a day to day basis. But it's certainly possible that if he were to cooperate 
in sort of a criminal investigation against Goldfinger that he might be able to to find something, uh, a means to stay here in the U.S. Very good points. But I think that the bottom line for uh, Ajab is that as a B-1 domestic service worker, Ajab has few options for staying in the mm-hmm. United States on a more permanent basis. A lot Definitely. of the options we're discussing are kind of out, outside the box thinking, whether yeah. it's maybe marrying uh, somebody for love, of course, or you know, cooperating in a criminal investigation against Goldfinger. Those might be ways for him to stay in the United States permanently. But in general, we would have to tell Ajab, it's probably best for you to depart the United States after your stay, because that's what's expected of you. So I never thought that uh, when I first saw the movie Goldfinger, I'd be talking one day about what Ajab's visa status was. But there's a lot of things in 2022 I never thought I could say would come true. So let's talk about some overall takeaways from Goldfinger, shall we? Sure. Takeaway number one, I think it's really important to bring this up on a serious note. James Bond's treatment of women in this movie and in general in the Sean Connery years has not Mm. aged well, probably didn't even look good at the time. No, it certainly has not. The way that the female characters do not fare well in this film, the characters are mistreated by the other characters in the film. And just sort of the, the way that the characters are written, you know, the female characters in this movie are kind of window dressing. They're more decorative than they are. You know, Miss Galore, of course, is instrumental to the plot. The genre, what strikes me watching in some of the older movies is that the franchise has changed significantly. You know, understanding that it has a somewhat misogynistic past and has tried to, uh, I think, to atone for it and try to sort of update the storytelling with the times. You know, the depiction of women and the place that women have in the Daniel Craig episodes of the James Bond movies is 180 degree difference than what we saw in the Sean Connery episodes. Mm -hmm. So things are improving. I always had this question, Rod. Why does James Bond use his real name to introduce himself to people? I mean, the guy's yeah, a spy, it, right? And right. he tells just, everybody what his name is. In theory, you would think that he would not want to just, you know, publicize who he is. You know, people recognize him on the street, stuff like that. He's it's really not famous. Great, it's not great spy craft. I agree. Right. But, uh, didn't he have like an alias? Yeah. Or, or something? He um, should, in theory. You and I spoke about this. Neither of us are big fans of golf. We don't play golf. We don't really watch golf. People love golf. No offense to golf. People love it, right? But for me, this might be the greatest golf scene in the history of uh, cinema. The golf match between Goldfinger and James Bond. I think that that might have been the the most intriguing golf match in the history of cinema. I might suggest that perhaps the film Caddyshack is is superior from a golf perspective, the entire movie. Or uh, the Happy Adam Gilmore Sandler movie, Happy Gilmore is another. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if just for I, I don't know what other movies have golf in them. There was that um, Will Smith movie called The Legend of Bagger Vance, I believe. And OK, yeah, I don't think I saw. Yeah, that I didn't. I saw it in college. I didn't like it. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the 10 minutes of Goldfinger and Bond playing golf more than that movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, in the context of this movie, it's a really fascinating scene. I like it. But um, I think I've seen I've had more fun with golf in other movies. That's fair. Now, when we think of James Bond, there are certain attributes that we connect uh, to him, the way he dresses, mm-hmm. his accent. But there's two things that I, I really think of. Number one are his watches. And mm-hmm. as we discussed in our previous episode, you and I are big uh, fans of wristwatches. We're, we're kind of yep. uh, hobbyists when it comes to wristwatches. I really enjoy seeing all the different types of wristwatches that James Bond has worn over the years and how important they were to the books and to the movies. So over the years, James Bond has worn brands including Rolex, Breitling, Gruen, Hamilton, Seiko, Tag Heuer, and Omega. These are some of the big boys of the watch industry. 
Yeah, some of the major brands out there. Yeah. And and as a watch enthusiast, Rod, what do you feel about James Bond and his watches? I'm a, always been a big fan of. Uh, I mean, a big fan of his uh, of his watch collection. I'm always interested to see what he's going to wear next. If you could pick one of his watches for your collection from any of the movies, what would you put on? Let's see. Right now, I'd have to say uh, again from Honor Majesty's Secret Service the oh. uh, the Rolex the Rolex Daytona that he has in that movie. I've always been a fan of that one. It's that older style. So yeah. It's, uh, cool style from this the the 60s style that uh, it looks very different these days but that's always one that I've always I've always liked. Yeah, I think that I would go with the um the Rolex Submariner he wore in Goldfinger. It's the first time that anyone really saw such a watch being worn with a tuxedo, you know, it's a dive mm-hmm. watch, it's a tool watch and yeah. he put it yeah. on with a tuxedo. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's and and that's the classic watch that he wore for the first several movies. Yeah, that's 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 the one that he's that he was originally uh, most identified with. And in addition to watches, the other toy that James Bond always uh, is known <laughs> for are his cars. So over the years, he's driven a Sunbeam, a Bentley, Aston Martin, Toyota, Mercury, Ford, Lotus, BMW, even a Citroen. You have any favorites when it comes to his cars? I think I know what your favorite is. I mean, my favorite is the Aston Martin DB5 from this movie which has appeared in most of the movies since. That's my ultimate favorite. I do. There's another one that I... The Living Daylights, Aston Martin, right? Yeah. The Aston Martin from The Living Daylights, also a favorite of mine. Yeah, Aston Martin has become synonymous with James Bond, and um, that, Mm -hmm. that DB5 is just beautiful. I always had this question when it came to James Bond movies, Rod. Can you taste the difference between a drink that is shaken rather than stirred? (laughs) Because <laughs> James Bond always asks for his drinks shaken, not stirred. I've certainly had martinis made both ways. I cannot tell. I wouldn't be able to know. What I understand is, is that I'm told if you shake a cocktail, you break up the ice a little bit. And if right. you drink a shaken cocktail, it'll be a little weaker because it'll be watered down somewhat. Yeah, James um, Bond wouldn't be drinking weak drinks. He wouldn't be drinking a weak drink. I no. think that the shaken, not stirred is just to, to help emphasize that you know James Bond is a man of action. Rough and tough. He chooses the aggressive way to make the drink over the gentle way. I'm kind of tired Mm. of James Bond movies that have the word die in the title. (laughs) I'm sick of it. We've got live and let die. We've got tomorrow never dies. We've got die another day. And just recently we had no time to die. So So it's time for the word die to die. Seriously, James Bond creators, you don't realize that you've used the word die too many times. Stop it. Stop it. No more. (laughs) It is an occupational hazard for him. It sure is. It sure is. Finally, who now that Daniel Craig has ended his run as James Bond, who do we want to see as the next James Bond? Do you have any choices? You know, we we talked about this as one of the uh, you know topics we were going to describe, and I had a real difficult time thinking about this. I tried to think about it. I just couldn't come up with anybody that I thought would be really great. And I will say that today I had a a conversation with a coworker of ours, oh. Adam Meninga. Shout out to Adam, also friend of the pod, and he suggested Riz Ahmed. I think he'd be a fantastic James Bond. That's really interesting. I mean, I agree completely with him. I like that idea. He is English. It would definitely be a different direction for James Bond. I'd never thought about that. My thoughts were, I'm going to pick people who are at least from the UK, right? So I think Tom Hardy might be a good James Bond. Mm -hmm. He's in his mid 40s, so he might be a little bit older to start as James Bond. Although I think, you know, he looks pretty good for his age. I also think that Ewan McGregor might be a good James Bond. I mean, he's Scottish. Sean Connery was Scottish. We know Mm -hmm. that Ewan McGregor can do a good English accent. He's done so in other movies. He's also a little bit older, but I feel like he looks young and I think he could do a good job, but I'm liking this Riz Ahmed. I think the only thing, you know, when it comes to Tom Hardy, Ewan McGregor, even Riz at this point, I think the only, you know, traditionally James Bond has always 
as has never been a famous actor. They usually pluck somebody from some sort of relative obscurity, you know, different, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Roger Moore had been on The Saint and he had had some exposure previously. But, you know, I'm wondering if these actors may already be a little too famous, you know, for the role. They usually go with, with someone who's not as well known, but, you know, we'll have to see. Well, things change and the movie industry needs to make some money right now. So going with a famous person might not be the worst thing in the world. Probably not. Well, if, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if they've, if they sign Riz, I'm in. I could do a good English accent. You want to get a good James Bond? Come to me. There we go. (laughs) I'm ready, Hollywood. I'm already in LA. (laughs) So that's our Goldfinger discussion. Great movie. Obviously, it's all about immigration. That's the, the main takeaway from the movie is like, three characters, what kind of visas would they have needed? Maybe we'll do two more episodes revolving around James Bond and Goldfinger. So just to tie things up here, again, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and rate us. Those ratings are really helpful. Any type of rating you want to give us, the more stars, the better. But we do ask that you rate us. It would be nice. And and Rod, just as a reminder, again, if if anybody uh, came into the podcast late, couldn't deal with the intro, where where could you find us? Sure. We're on uh, you know, all the major platforms. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, and et cetera. And we always love to hear from you. We keep getting emails. Uh, people have gripes with us. People have praise for us. People just want to say hello. And um, we have an email address. And, and Rod, what's that email address? Sure. Yeah. It's hasta la visa, H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at Gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y dot com. And we talked about a very important movie today, not just to us, but to a lot of our view, our listeners and also to just the general film community. So I hope we did mm-hmm. the movie justice. Hope I, so do I. So do I. Next time for our April 2022 episode, we're going to be talking about a comedy. We're going to laugh a little bit. This is a comedy that I'm a big fan of. It stars Robin Williams, it stars Gene Hackman, it stars Nathan Lane and Hank Azaria. It's called The Birdcage. Fantastic movie. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Hank Azaria plays um, a character named Agador, who um, is from Guatemala, and he is working (laughs) as Robin Williams' houseworker. We'll have to figure it out. We've got to watch it it again. We're probably going to bring in a special guest for this episode, so stay tuned for that. And Mm -hmm. um, until next time. Hasta la visa, baby. 